This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, as you know, GoHunt.com Insider is the title sponsor of this podcast, and I want to thank them for their sponsorship. I wanted to give you a chance to listen to the head of the Insider program, Dave Losher, as he talks about the unit profile section of the GoHunt Insider Before we get to that, I want to remind you to use the J. Scott promo code when signing up for Go Hunt Insider. All you have to do is go to www.gohunt.com forward slash insider, find the blue join now button and use J. Scott as the promo code and you'll receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. After you sign up, they will send you an electronic gift card that you can use at Kuyu. Now let's hear from Dave Losher. Let's take a few minutes now and I'll show you the unit profile and you'll be able to see all the information that we've gathered and put within this profile to help you to plan for your next hunt. Go into Nevada and we'll pull up a unit right now. Right here as you get into the unit profile you're going to be able to see the species icons at the top and those are going to show you exactly which species are offered in that unit. As you go down the snapshot is going to be a quick overview of the unit, the buzz, the latest talk from the different hunters about the unit as well as uh, what seasons are hot, maybe what seasons aren't so hot. On the ground, this section is going to talk about the terrain, the vegetation, access, recommendations on lodging and camping, our uh, historical temperature and precipitation. This is extremely valuable because we're not simply going with information from the local town, the nearest town that may be 60, 80, or 100 miles away. Our data team has figured out a way to drop pin locations right within the unit where it's most important, where it's most relative to a hunter, and we can talk about the temperature and the precipitation and display it on a multi-year basis so you have an understanding of exactly what it is you're going to encounter. Right here, the species that are within this unit, you're going to see these icons again that show each individual species that's offered for big game hunting, and you can see right here we're on mule deer, and as you go down, then it's going to go into a season-by-season description. As you can see, the dates are right there. And under these dates, you can see where the deer are most likely to reside as far as elevation. The data that corresponds with each individual season is going to show the resident and the non-resident quotas, the harvest success, and you can compare the correlation between an increase or a decrease in quota versus how that may have impacted the harvest success on any given year. Each individual season offered for mule deer will be covered. As I go up, if I want to take a look at elk, I can just click right here on the elk icon and Here I can get the same thing, information on the elk herd in the unit. You're going to notice on the right side of our unit profile, there's a ton of valuable information. First thing I want to point out, we'll get into the mapping in a moment, but I want to point out the quick tips. In this particular unit, limited cell phone service, often none. This is great. This is valuable stuff to know. Should I get a satellite phone? Is my cell phone going to work? This moon phase calendar is extremely important. You know, do you have a full moon? Do you have a no moon? Because that can impact your hunt. Now up on the mapping section, we've got that broken down on the map on a unit by unit basis. So you can actually expand the view by clicking right here and you'll pull right into it. And here's our unit that we're talking about. And you can actually take it off of the map view and you can go straight into the satellite view. If you want to get a, an actual picture representation of a given area, I'm going to drop this orange, orange man right here on, in unit 061. You can get the actual 
picture of the unit of the terrain and you can see exactly what it is now within this uh, within this map here's another cool thing that we put together for you as, as a user right here these area services on the bottom within the area services if you're looking for lodging grocery gas station or the, the local airport you can turn these on and turn these off as you need them we spent a lot of time finding the local hunters to write these profiles for us that actually have boots on the ground experience in these given units so that you could better plan for your upcoming hunt. Well, that was great to hear from Dave Losher of GoHunt.com Insider. And I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider for being the title sponsor of this podcast. I also would like to thank Deadeye Outfitters who makes quality t-shirts, sweatshirts, and hats designed with hunters in mind. Deadeye Outfitters has the only license for creating Boone and Crockett apparel. And I want to tell you guys that if you use the J. Scott promo code, you will receive a 10% discount on all purchases at DeadeyeOutfitters.com. I want to thank them additionally for their sponsorship of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have an episode with uh, Craig... Steele and Lee Murphy of Exclusive Pursuits Outfitters on uh, how to score and field judge antelope and how to hunt antelope. And I think you guys are going to really enjoy this episode. I wanted to bring your attention to a couple of things. And for one, say thank you to the listeners uh, for all of their support with this podcast. If you um, haven't noticed on iTunes, uh, there are some very good reviews. I'm going to read a few of them about the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I'm truly humbled by each one of these reviews. I'm going to start out by saying uh, the first review is Hooked. I'm hooked on this podcast. I enjoy the quality of guests on the show and the range of topics. I also appreciate the frequency and the new episodes that are uploaded. I'm always ready for the next one. That's K.H. Bowfly. Uh, Top Notch, Devil Dog 1980 says, Jay Scott is setting the standard for hunting podcasts. The information he provides is invaluable to anyone that enjoys hunting and fishing. His guests are some of the most informed people in the business. Keep up the good work, Jay. Uh, great Hunting Podcast by Trail, TO, or Trail OA. A great podcast for the Western Hunter. Good job. Um, J. Scott Podcast Rocks. I have listened to all of J. Scott's podcasts. I think I have figured out why they're so, they're so good. Jay asks his guests great questions. They may seem like no big deal, but it is. Also, letting them finish their answer is, a, is key too. Good job, Jay. Um, very informative, great knowledge. Uh, Wilkie... Wilkie Nathan, uh, being a guide in New Mexico, these podcasts are very accurate and the knowledge being dropped on these podcasts is priceless. Jay and his guest hit Western Honey right on the head. There's just an example of some of the, um, the uh, comments on iTunes. And guys, I appreciate it. if you listen and you haven't uh, uh, given a review on iTunes, I appreciate it. Uh, I want to thank you guys, the listeners. I want to thank you for following along on my Instagram page at J. Scott Outdoors and my associate Dark Colburn at Dark Colburn. Also, our Facebook page, J. Scott Outdoors, YouTube channel, J. Scott Outdoors, and of course, uh, the, the home website, which is uh, jscottoutdoors.com. Uh, guys, 
without you and without the sponsors, this uh, podcast wouldn't be possible. I also want to thank all of the guests that I've had. Uh, just a extreme wealth of knowledge. Uh, everybody's come on and been real energetic and um, just want to say hats off to them and thank you for, for all of the great support. And we're going to do our best here to, to keep the gas mashed down and uh, bring you some great episodes uh, all throughout the year. And I hope you find uh, each and every one of them unique. And uh, just uh, if you need to get a hold of me, uh, if you want to leave comments or questions, uh, you can reach me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I get emails daily from the listeners, and I really enjoy them. Uh, I just want to thank you guys, and let's get right to the episode with uh, exclusive Pursuit Outfitters, Craig Murph, Craig Steele, and Lee Murphy. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a real special episode for you guys. We have Lee Murphy and Craig Steele of Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters. Uh, Craig and Lee are two of... Arizona's finest big game hunting guides and uh, they really like antelope and they have a very good track record uh, putting big antelope bucks on the ground. Um, really excited to get their input on Arizona antelope hunting and uh, guys how you doing? Good. good how are you doing Jay? Good um, Lee why don't you start out uh, give me a, just a small beef, uh, brief background on yourself as far as hunting and guiding and where you reside and uh, then I'll ask Craig the same thing. Okay. Well, I was uh, born and raised in north central Arizona. I grew up on a ranch and grew up hunting and fishing, trapping in the winter with my dad. It was just a way of life. So that's kind of my background, how I got started in hunting. It's just always been second nature. Um, and the antelope hunting is something that I kind of have a, a niche for um, because I grew up around a lot of really good antelope habitat in the Prescott area. So, so being around big bucks and, and, and antelope in general has given you a keen eye as far as being able to field judge them and know what's a good buck and what's not? Yeah, I get the opportunity to see a lot of antelope um, and, you know, been around them a lot so that's that's a real important factor in antelope because they're they're really hard to field judge and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of patience to to learn learn about them so well i'm excited to hear what you have to say today about them uh craig uh give me a little background on you i've had you on the podcast before um but tell me you know why you like antelope and um why they get under your skin and uh, a little background on that um no antelope it's it's actually not necessarily my favorite species but big antelope there's something um crazy about big antelope when you see big antelope there i mean you can't take your eyes off of them so i i I love big antelope. I started my first tag I drew, I think it was 2000, um, and that was an archery tag, and draws back then for archery were like, I think it was like 35% draw uh, to draw that tag. I didn't kill a buck. I hunted one buck exclusively the whole time and got my butt kicked, missed him twice. Um, the following year, I drew the same tag um 
and I tried one stock. That buck was still alive. I tried one stock on him. He was almost in an unstockable area. Um, and I got frustrated and I went up and headed up to the trees and got lucky and a old 70 inch buck walked by me and I plugged him at 20 yards and then I didn't draw the following year and then the next year I drew again but I mean this was 2003 um, and that was the first year I got to see a really big antelope and it's still to this day the biggest antelope I've ever seen in my life um, another guy named him Tippers and uh, I hunted that buck for several days and it's one of those deals where the monsoon came and um, there was a, uh, my uncle was hunting the same unit, but he was pretty novice bow hunter. And then, uh, and he was just sitting on water and then his good friend was also hunting and he killed like an 82 inch buck off water. Well, it rained a whole bunch and he decided if he couldn't sit water, he wasn't going to hunt. And I was like, uh, that's, I, I'm not going to, I got the vacation time off work. I'm going to, I'm going to try to lay the hammer down on one and I hunted that big buck and I missed him at a pretty far distance and he was uh, probably about 91, 92 that year. Um, I didn't know he was that big because I really didn't pay that much attention to field judging other than he was just giant. I ended up killing like a 82 inch, no actually it was 80 inch, there I go exaggerating. He was an 80, <laughs> he was an 80 inch buck. Um, I didn't think he was that big. I thought he was high 70s. I killed that. Now, this is with your bow? This is with my bow. I killed him. Okay. My mom My mom was filming that deal, and I killed him at 30 yards. There was actually another buck there that I thought was a little bit bigger, but with your bow, you're not going to be too picky. Um, I killed that buck, and then the fall, or two years later, um, my sister and brother-in-law drew the same tag. And we went after, uh, we went out there with the intentions of, of killing whatever nice buck we could kill. And uh, we seen the big buck. Um, he was alive again, tippers, and he was um, just giant again. And, uh, but he was in the wrong area, so we couldn't hunt him. There was some private property that we couldn't hunt. Um, and he was in that area. And anyway, my sister ended up killing a buck, and then that buck, that tipper's buck, got killed by a muzzleloader hunter. And I, I finally saw the pictures of him. He was, you know, just unreal. And ever since I've seen that buck, um, that tipper's buck, when you see a buck that's just got huge masses, mass like that buck, it's just, it's, it's something that stands out in your mind. So um, that's kind of my, I drew again in 2010, and then I've, Lee and I have started guiding. Lee's been doing it for longer than I have, specifically on the antelope. I actually, um, when we're when we're out in the field looking for antelope, I defer to him a lot. Um, he knows I'm a Peter Panic when it comes to field judging because it's just something you have to do and you have to do it a lot um, to be. You have to have a lot of them in your hands and you you, you have to get a lot of second opinions because they're really hard to field judge. Yeah, I mean, ha having a small frame, so to speak, you know, we're, we're, we're talking a horn rather than an antler uh, and, and a relatively small horn, I imagine body size and, and a lot of things play into that factor of, of, you know, what makes a big, big antelope and what makes a, you know, medium sized antelope. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, guys, first, I want to ask you kind of what your favorite units in Arizona are and then. 
after that, we're going to kind of go into the difference between bow hunting and, and rifle hunting uh, or muzzleloader hunting these, these antelope. And I think one of the things that's important to note in the state of Arizona, the, the draw for bow hunting uh, archery antelope is actually quite a bit more liberal uh, than, than our uh, hard-to-draw rifle tag, so we'll probably touch on that. But what are some of your favorite units, um, Lee? Well, I, some of the favorite units I have are, are uh, 17B, 19B, 19A. Uh, those are some of the best quality and, and have some of the best genetics, but they're super low draw odds. So if you get to hunt in there with somebody or get to hunt in those units, it's, it's really special because they have some of the best genetics anywhere anywhere there is. But um, I get the most opportunity to hunt with guys in, in units 10 or 18A, 18B, unit 8, unit 7 because there's a little bit better draw odds and we help a lot of hunters um, and friends hunt in those areas. If if you had to say, Lee, um, where you typically get your most of your hunters, uh, which unit? Is there one unit that stands out or, or, or two or three units that are like your primary guided units or do you just bounce all over what, whatever comes your way? Well, it's historically we've done a lot of hunts in unit 10 and the 18 units. Uh, once, okay. you know, once in a while we'll bounce around to some of the other units, but those are primarily the ones that we, we specialize in and have the most experience in. Gotcha. And Craig, uh, what are your favorite units, uh, for antelope? Um, probably, I mean, 18A, 18B, 10, 15, um, you know, not at nine, eight, seven. I like, I like, any of those units you can it's hard to get it's hard to get drawn and then it's hard to get clients and um, like Lee was saying that just it just really depends 10 because it has has a lot more antelope um, and a lot is a lot bigger unit so that's and, and a lot more tag yeah a lot more tag so there you get a lot more opportunity to either a draw it or B guide hunters there um, I like I like any of those units if if you have the time to, to scout them and put the effort in um, any of those units, I think, you know, along with the ones that Lee mentioned, can produce um, really good antelope. So from what I hear you guys saying is it, it depends on year to year into w which hunts you actually get clients in. You know all the units. You each have some of your favorite units. Some of them may be because of proximity to where you live. Um, but you can basically field an antelope hunter in any of those units and then once you have a hunter in those units, then you put your scouting efforts and focus on those units. And maybe some of your favorite units maybe go a year and you don't even go and really mess around in there. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a pretty fair assessment, Jay. That's, that's typically how it is. And it's just because there's, there's a very limited amount of antelope tags. There's guys in Arizona that wait for 30 years and never draw an antelope tag. Sure. Let's talk a little bit, guys, in bow hunting, uh, you know, with archery equipment as opposed to gun hunting. And, you know, there's there's trophy expectations for, you know, guys that bow hunt and then maybe guys that rifle hunt have a have a different trophy expectation. Let's talk about that. But let's also talk about um, the, 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 the pros and cons, so to speak, of bow hunting versus 
uh, rifle hunting, and I don't care which one of you starts first, but maybe dive into the differences in bow hunting and the pros and cons of bow hunting and, and rifle hunting. Go ahead, Lee. No, you I'll, go ahead and start on that one, then I'll pick on you. Okay, I'll I'll go with bow hunting first. I'll I'll tackle that. Um, uh, bow hunting, you know, your success rates go down uh, tremendously compared to um, with a rifle or even with a muzzleloader. I mean, your your success rates are you're gonna pro you're gonna kill an antelope if you choose to with with a gun versus with a bow. Um, during the rut, um, it and and being just how animal or antelope are and where they live, uh, you know, 90% of the population in wide open stuff, and they're obviously everybody knows about their eyesight, um, but they're just they're such a unique animal, and you never know what they're gonna do. Um, I, a lot of guys want to hit that kind of that 80 inch mark with a bow. Um, I, I'd say that's kind of a, a fair assessment of where most guys are. There are bucks that are killed that are in the mid-80s every year, um, but it's few and far between. Um, if a guy can kill a 70-inch antelope, I mean, he's doing something because I don't know exactly what the success rates are, and Lee might have this. Um, he's he, he gets he's really good at the data stuff, but I would venture to say it's probably in 20 to 20%. Um, range is that is that strictly from a basis of they're hard to get close to and you obviously they're a fairly small target um and, and or uh you know with a rifle you're going to be able to get you know 300 400 yards from most most of these antelope and have a lot more shot opportunities is the success in antelope uh lower because of the fact that you know it's hard to get within side you know say 70 yards of them I'd I'd say it is um, there because most of, most of the antelope are highly visible um, all the time. Um, it's kind of like sheep hunting where where you're going to be able to see them um, and you're going to probably be able to get to within you know three four hundred yards if you take your time with a gun versus with a bow. I mean you're talking a totally different story. Um, and then you know as far as tactics wise, if it's really if you get a unit that's really, really dry or a year that's really dry, um, that's when you'll see spikes in, in uh, success rates. Um, because if uh, I know one year there was a unit over here that had, you know, five, ten permits, and we didn't have a monsoon hardly at all. And I think they were 100% on their success rate for those permits, but they sat like two or three different water sources in those, I mean, it, I mean it's during the hottest month of the year, August. And, you know, those antelope just have to hit the water. But you can't, I always say you can't rely on that because, you know, Lee and I every year when we're out in August and September, we're usually swimming or floating somewhere because of the monsoon. Um, sure. You get, you know, maybe one out of every four or five years where the monsoon doesn't hit. And even if it's an overall dry monsoon, it typically August is the most active month. So, I mean, you could it could be dry up until then, and all of a sudden it rains three or four inches, and then it just totally changes the dynamics of of hunting them with a bow. So, um, so what you're saying is, if obviously if the monsoons come in, there's going to be water everywhere, and you can't be effective being an archer sitting water as well because there's water all over, and they they 
they're not locked into the water holes and specific spots where archers can target them. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'd say that's a fair statement that, you know, they'll still hit water, but they got pockets of water everywhere. And they, I mean, they're, they are habitual, but they're not that habitual, you know, cause they're rutting at that point in time. So they're running all over the place, especially the bigger bucks, um, the bigger bucks, the, the bucks with the does there. I mean, those are the really hard ones to, to get killed because, um, you know, that they obviously have more eyes and ears. So, um, so from a gun hunting perspective, Lee, uh, as opposed to bow hunting, when is the rut, uh, generally, and how does it coincide with the archery hunt as opposed to the rifle hunt? And, and how does that make the rifle hunt maybe say better than the, the archery hunt? Well, the, the rifle hunts has been historically here the last several years has been during the rut, but the, they split some of those hunts up this year. So some of them are in actually in October post rut this year. Um, and how do you think those hunts, a lot of the antelope hunts have been moved to October. Uh, post rut, how, how do you see those hunts, you know, how do you see that going? Well, I think it'll still be, um, the bucks will still be around the does. You usually see them around the does even post rut. Um, some of the, the bigger bucks or more aggressive bucks may be a little more tired and may be off by themselves and might make them a little tougher to find. Um, It'll be interesting to see how that goes this year in those units. What what guys, you know, find out and what they what they do on those hunts. Um, but going back to the rut, you know, in in the in the archery hunts in August and late August, those bucks are really aggressive, and a lot of times it it gives a hunter an archery hunter opportunity because the bucks are they're they're really not paying attention to what's going on around them. They're they're paying attention to other antelope or other bucks. So it creates a spot and stock opportunity when they're they're not on their game as far as being as aware they're they're more chasing off other bucks and and running around uh, like wild men. Yeah, and you know there's certain units that just don't offer that spot and stock availability where there's it's just grassland, there's no brush, no contour, and those units are really gonna you're gonna be better off sitting water and. You can still spot and stalk or try decoy. Guys do that and have pretty good success with that. I don't, I haven't tried the decoys that much myself, but I prefer and we prefer to hunt units archery that have a little more contour, some trees, and some brush. It it really enables you to use a spot and stalk method really effectively if if you try, you know, and just just keep working at it because antelope are a little bit different animal too than than deer and elk. They they, they really don't miss you with their vision. They pretty much know you're there. Um, and it's almost like they have a confidence that as long as they can see you, they know that they can outrun you. So a lot of times you can get fairly close to antelope within a hundred yards, uh, depending on the unit and how hard they get hunted. And it's just cracking that, that last 30 or 40 yards to be able to get, get within bow range sometimes. I want to ask you guys um, about how you find big bucks and how you do your scouting. Uh, you know, you guys obviously have local knowledge of all these units, but you know, every year things change and what have you. How, how do you go about scouting 
uh, for antelope and then scouting for big bucks? Well, for, for for scouting big bucks, a lot of it is past seasons. You know, you see a buck that is a young buck that you know has potential. Um, I will go back and look for those same antelope the next year. Um, there's certain areas that seem to produce genetically will produce bucks. Um, but it's mostly you just got to you spend a lot of time out there. Uh, looking and antelope are not that hard to find everybody knows that they're not really that difficult to find uh, or spot but to most people they look the same they don't look that much different one buck looks like the other buck so that's where it gets a little bit more complicated and you just have to really spend a lot of time getting to know antelope and you know what certain characteristics can cause a buck to to be a a better trophy or score more and, and start watching for that and so from a scouting perspective, when you break down a unit, um, you, Lee, are going off of your knowledge from bucks from prior years. You're specifically targeting bucks that you've seen before. Um, but let's say maybe a, a unit that maybe you're not as familiar with. How do you break down that specific unit? Like where would you even start for maybe the people out there that maybe are going unguided uh, what advice would you guys have for, you know, getting drawn and, uh, you know, where do they even start? Well, you can, you can ask people that, uh, have hunted before, you know, try and connect with, with other hunters. If you don't know a unit, um, if there's ranching in the area, you can talk with ranchers or people that take care of the waters on the ranches, ask them where they've seen antelope, you know, a lot of times word of mouth is how big animals, whether it's antelope, elk, or deer, get out. You know, oh, I saw a big buck over here by tank number two. And so you go check those kind of leads out. A lot of times that's how big things are found, um, just by talking to as many people as you can. So you kind of have to gather your scouting information from just about any source that you can think of when, when you're learning a unit. One thing I would do is, just like what Lee said, gather as much information as you can before you head out there. And then, you know, if you have, depending upon, you know, everybody has a different amount of time, different amount of money to go do it. So depending upon all that, you need to kind of formulate a plan of, okay, well, I got six weekends, you know. So, you know, this is how big my unit is, it, and I know this about it. I know this is the areas based on the game of fish, talking to wildlife manager, what you find online, you know, people you've talked to that have had it before, and you know, okay, I'm going to go hit this area for two days. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to go. And, and Craig, what are you looking for? Are you looking for antelope? Are you looking for good, you know, uh, water holes? What specifically? Are you strictly looking first, for numbers of animals? Personally, what I like to do, I mean, again, it depends on your time. If you have all the time in the world, let's say you waited 30 years for this and you're going to go do it and your wife's not going to complain about you being gone, I would go drive all the roads first, um, drive every inch of it that I could drive. I would look for antelope country. Like Lee said, it really helps because there, there is pockets of antelope in areas that you can't see them sometimes. And if you're looking for a big old buck, one, there may only be one 85 inch buck in that unit or that you know that 
you, you you're going to be able to find. So that 185 inch buck, although he's out in the open, he's moving around. Um, those little pockets of antelope are ones that you got to go know or you got to know about and try to find. So if you don't have that knowledge, you got to kind of go with the mindset of if I want to kill the biggest antelope in that unit, I'm going to go drive every road. I'm going to look, you know, for areas that ha obviously have water. You're going to look for tracks. You're going to look for antelope like to make scrapes or uh, uh, mark in the road, um, just like a coyote will. Um, and, the and what time of year will they be doing that? Greg, so, you know, you find out that you drew, we find out usually like the third yep. week in July, that doesn't give you a lot of time. Those, Will they be scraping by then? And I seen two bucks the other day chasing each other. So okay. they're always doing uh, dominant things. You know, bucks are always, you know, the older bucks, they'll slack off a little bit because, you know, they usually got bigger body and can intimidate the, the other ones. And the other ones know this is, you know, he's the big guy in town. Um, so he'll save his energy a little bit, but as far as finding antelope sign, you know, they'll do a lot of those scrapes and stuff all year. Fence lines, they like to do that, you know, look for their go where they're going underneath fence lines. Um, you know, find any glassing points. Um, but the first couple days, I would just drive around and, and cover as much country as I can. I might not even get out of my truck, you know. Um, so you're basically learning the unit, learning the roads, learning how to get around, looking for vantage points where you can see big amounts of country, yeah. marking marking down where you see antelope, um, and, and then then a whole other game is field judging, which we're going to touch on in a bit. Um, tell me about driving around in the units, and when you see antelope, what do you do? Do you stop immediately? Do you keep moving? I mean, what do you guys do from a tactical standpoint uh, when a buck's, you know, a couple hundred yards off the road and he's standing there looking at you? Did you stop or do you keep going like you don't care? What, what's your strategy there? That's all you, Lee. Well, that, <laughs> that's road hunting. <laughs> that, Let's say you're scouting. That depends on the unit a lot, Jay. Um, some of the... Some of the units that don't have very many tags, which is a lot of the antelope units, you can get away with driving around, sometimes even walking around because they're used to seeing people, like especially the units in central Arizona around Prescott. But you get into a unit like Unit 10, there's areas of Unit 10, they see a, they see a dust cloud of a vehicle coming three miles away and they're gone. Um, they can get really wild, especially up in the plains of Unit 10. So... It kind of depends on where you're at, but your scenario there, if I were to pull up and see an antelope a couple hundred yards, it, I kind of take a temperature of what they're doing. If they're paying attention to me and they look like they're going to get nervous and run off, I will just drive by in hopes that I can move to a close vantage point and walk out to, you know, walk out and maybe sneak up on them a little bit and, and get a look. Um, if they, if they'll stand there, you know, I'll, I'll look at them from the vehicle. It just kind of depends. And, uh, guys, what kind of territory do these bucks run? I mean, I'm a coos deer hunter and know that usually uh, coos deer have a very tight home range. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the travel patterns of, of antelope, um, uh, you know, bucks, does, what have you, um, and then how maybe that changes during the rut. 
Well, they don't they don't move a lot. Antelope are fairly territorial, um, but you know sometimes bucks will move move several miles to to rut does in different areas. But they can they're typically fairly territorial. Um, they'll use different pieces of country at different times of the year, basically chasing feed wherever the feed is the best or the greenest. You got anything to add there, Craig? Yeah, they'll they'll do that a lot. They'll you know the monsoon rain. They, I mean, they're they're eating on grass primarily what they eat, um, and so that monsoon, depending upon if it's spotty or not, that's your antelope. There there's areas sometimes where we kill. Uh, hunted with uh, Cody Conklin and Jim a couple years ago on the archery hunts. I think it was last year, the year before we hunted with them in 2013, but last year I don't think there was hardly any antelope in that area. And so that was just all based on the the feed and whatnot. So that changes them a little bit, but they do, they are very territorial, like Lee was saying. And sometimes when it's dry everywhere, it, they're going to be right where they're going to be. And those bucks, those bigger bucks, um, they'll rut the same places year after year and live in the same places. Um, and they'll come back, um, based on if they have the food and water, that's, it's just like, kind of like, uh, you know, coos deer, they got to have food and water to, to hold them there. Okay. So let's talk about a little bit more advanced tactic here. Let's say that you've scouted out a big buck and you've seen him several times when you say they're territorial do you mean from the same glassing knob you're going to see him within, you know, two or three hundred yards of where you always see him, or are you going to see him within a mile of where you see him? Sometimes they'll just break out in a trot and they'll run two miles, three miles, just in a trot. But generally they'll come back. You may not see him for, you know, half a day or a day because he's off rutting other does or he's cutting through the trees. A lot of these antelope, they'll use you know, if they're not out in the plains and stuff, but even there, they'll disappear in little ravines and whatnot and get away from you. Um, but I guess my question is, if you've scouted out a big buck and you've seen them two or three times, are you looking, you know, like from this knob, I should see him or is it more from this knob? If I look north and if I look in a, you know, a half mile by half mile square, he will be in there. I wouldn't say half mile by half mile, but I would say, you you know, if you're looking from a knob and you know he's in there and you've seen him several times, he's going to show up. You just got to sit your butt down there and keep glassing and wait for him to pop up. Okay, so it's it's highly unlikely that if you're up on a knob and you've got good vantage and you've seen a buck from that knob several times, it's very highly unlikely that he's run you know, seven miles away and he's completely gone. That would be, that would be a, a, a rare occasion, you would think? It is rare, but it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about maybe a couple of bucks. Um, I know you guys like to target specific bucks, and you like to obviously do a lot of scouting. Talk to me a little bit about the grind in, in targeting specific bucks and maybe some specific specific instances where, you know, some of the things you had to go through to relocate a buck or to stay on and, and, and get your hunter on that specific buck? Well, I guess <clears throat> scouting antelope, it seems, it can seem easy sometimes because they're very visual and they, they're in country that's open, but sometimes they can just disappear and you don't know where they went. They lay down in a little draw out of sight or something. So, um, 
probably the biggest challenge you deal with, unfortunately, is, is somebody else finding out your about your big buck that you found and and trying to make a plan on on getting him before somebody else gets him. Yeah, that's a huge deal with the rifle hunts um, or muzzleloader hunts, is uh, especially in you know a unit like Unit Ten um, or Unit Nine, somewhere where you have you know forty, fifty, sixty, seventy permits, um, especially on the areas that the antelope are really highly visible. Um, you're going to have competition if there's a big buck. Um, more than likely, there's going to be another hunter or two or three, and uh, it gets pretty pretty competitive and sometimes you know i mean lee and i have been in situations where it gets to the point where it's not worth it um because you know guys are pushing the envelope both on the guided side um, as guides and both and on the side of diy hunters as well um unfortunately when guys wait 20 30 years um sometimes the the ugly side of hunting comes out so yeah yeah i know it like a lot of different animals but with antelope where they're pretty visible um i i i'm i've seen cases where it can get ugly speaking about that in in a tactical strategic stand standpoint from a standpoint uh if you've got a big buck located and you know as the season gets closer and closer and closer do you back off uh from where you're watching the buck from or do you try and stay in there tight on your buck and kind of just keep you know keep around him at all times and if you run into people I mean do you tell people specifically that's the buck that I'm hunting or do you kind of back off hoping that you know if you stay away maybe it won't draw attention to the buck I kind of want to get a little more advanced uh methodology that you guys use in trying to we can't give away all of our secrets jay well let's hear hear some of the inside scoop here from my perspective is uh if i see a lot of guys in the area um then i i you know lee and i are both kind of non-confrontational people um we will i i will possibly try to hide the truck um, and then not make my presence known. I don't want anybody to know that I'm there. Um, now, if it's somebody that I know, somebody that we have mutual respect for, either as a hunter or as a guide, um, and they see us or whatnot, then you know I'll probably make an effort to say, "Hey, man, we got a buck right here. We're just we're trying to get him killed." Whether it be for a hunter or whether it be for my mom and dad or for, for my daughter, you know that's that would be my mentality. Um, but if there's nobody around, um, I'm going to try to hide my vehicle. I'm, I'm not, I'm going to try to make my presence not known because, um, I'll, I'll, I'll throw my people. There's a lot of people that do know my vehicle, um, in Arizona, especially my, my little Toyota. So it's one of those things where if people don't know you're in there, um, the better off you are. Um, and that's just, that's just how I am. So I don't know. Lee can you know, throw his two cents in on that one. Yeah, that's that's basically the the same way I feel about it, but we really strive because we, we kind of had a bad experience um, a couple of years ago with that where we, we did end up just backing completely out because it was so, so blown out of proportion. It wasn't funny. So we really strive these days now to, to look 
into all the little nooks and crannies and try and find antelope where other people aren't looking. And it's actually proved to be really helpful because a lot of times you find bucks that people don't know about. And if, if we know a lot of people are watching a big buck, I usually just back out because it's not worth the, the drama that can go on. So I just, I try and find areas to hunt where you don't have the hunt pressure to deal with just because I, I don't like when a hunt turns into that. It's just, it takes a lot of the hunt away from the experience. I think, you know, Lee and I are both, you know, uh, of the decision. It's, it's better. There's places you can find bucks and big bucks in areas and little nooks and crannies that, um, because of their territorial issues and because of if you find topography and, and tree coverage and stuff like that, that don't get seen very often. Um, and those, those more wide open places, those places that everybody hits, um, those are going to be the bucks that first fall or, or get, or have the confrontations around. And so we do, we, we strive to, we like, you know, we like hunting areas where there's nobody around. Um, it's, it's a much better quality experience, you know, I mean, especially if, if you got a buck that's 87 and he's out in the flats and you got 10 guys around him and you got a buck that's 86 and he's in this little nook and corner and you haven't seen anybody, um, your odds of killing that 87 buck anyway are low. Um, and so it's just one of those deals where it's just better off for, for the client, for us, for for you know our our family whoever we're hunting with to just uh, not put ourselves in that situation so you would rather your hit list before the season on all the inventory and bucks that you've seen a lot of times bucks that you decide to go after are based upon you know maybe it's not the biggest one in the unit but it's probably the one that we can kill the most efficiently and that plays a huge role in what buck you guys decide to go after yeah, and you really got to you got to know the client too, you know. I mean, and Lee and I talk about if if the client's capable and what his, I mean, is is does he have you know some sort of uh, physical um, issue? Um, is he an, is he an older guy or gal? Is he a, is it a kid? Is it a, a guy that can really go? Um, can he flat out shoot? I mean, so there's a lot of things that go into that. But, I mean, it's just one of those deals where we just try to avoid it, especially, when, I mean, when you're talking, you know, that small of a fraction. Um, and, and there's a lot, and Lee and I are of the opinion that there's a lot of bucks that, that don't get seen um, because they're not in those high-priority type areas, and you just got to dig them up. Absolutely. Guys, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about field judging. Uh, these antelope, uh, I have very little experience hunting antelope. I, 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 um, just one animal that I really haven't, um, dove into. I haven't gone all in, uh, on. And, um, so I'm going to be interested to hear what you guys have to say about field judging. Um, and, you know, let's talk about, you know, what makes an 80 inch buck, an 85 inch buck, a 90 inch buck. Um, you know, give, give me some references as far as, uh, you know, what the most important aspect of, of score is. And um, let's just dive into field judging. I know mass is, is probably the most important thing uh, on an antelope. Uh, either one of you can start. Talk to me about field judging uh, <clears throat> antelope. Go ahead, Lee. 
Okay, well, there's there's a lot of different angles and aspects, but to uh, to put it simply, to start out with, antelope are there's such a small amount of antelope tags that for a guy to get where he feels comfortable judging them, you need to look at a lot of them, and then you need to see a lot of those antelope actually hit the dirt to be able to measure them before you really feel comfortable saying, yeah, I think I was pretty accurate on field judging that antelope. Um, so it takes it takes a lot of time, and they're, they are really challenging because they're, there isn't a lot of inches there you're working with. Um, you know, on an elk, you can, you know, we have elk to score over 400 inches sometimes. That's a lot of inches. There's less less um, margin for error there, or more margin. But on antelope, sure. you know, you have bucks. A book of buck is 82 inches, so. I mean, one inch is, is a big percentage of score. Uh, so what you're saying is a you know, an 80-inch, 80 85-, 90-inch buck compared to a 400-inch elk, whereas an inch with a 400-inch elk doesn't make that big of a difference, but an inch with an antelope is huge. Yes, exactly. And talk to me about um, air judging versus, you know, taking, you know, each measurement and trying to estimate. Talk to me about how you feel judge these things, Lee. Well, in air judging, it's it's pretty easy. Most people can say, oh, that's, that's a big antelope or that's a small antelope or a medium antelope, and that's a good place to start, but it sounds kind of silly saying that, but it really is. Um, in air judging, it's really hard to judge a buck that's in that middle range, 78 to 83 inches. Um, when you see a really big antelope and you just say, man, that thing is a giant, uh, just air judging, those are very rare, um, and it once in a while we all get to experience seeing something like that. But to get to to where you understand antelope, it, they're they're real similar. There's not a lot of differences. Most of their horn makeup is real similar, and it's the same. Their horns are dark. Uh, the dark color makes it hard to to tell measurements and mass. And mass is uh, really important. An antelope basically has to get age class. Um, just like anything else, but age class is very important with antelope. If they don't get old enough, then they can't build the mass up. Because mass is where they start going from just an 80 inch or 82 inch book buck to being able to be a, you know, a high 80s or 90 inch super caliber antelope. They really have to have the mass to be able to do that. So. Basically, when you're when you're the scoring of an antelope, you have the length of your horn, and then you have your circumferences, and then you have the measurement of the prong. Am I correct? Yes. Yes. And the mass is the most important because you get four measurements of mass. Uh, you get the base, the first quarter, the second quarter, and the third quarter. Uh, tell me, walk me through scoring an antelope. Uh, from the links to the prongs to the circumference as far as where you take those measurements and then maybe some of the things that you're looking for when you're field judging each of those aspects? Well, a lot of it is, it's, it's all cumulative and, and there's, there's so many ways that you can, you can miss a little bit here and there. So length of horn is, you know, you can compare from their eye to their nose the distance there, the length there, the length of their ear, the length of most antelope's ears in Arizona is five and three quarters, six inches long. Um, you can use those for bases on length. Um, the length of prong, you know, is measured from the back of the 
of the horn around to the tip of the prong. Um, some guys don't realize that it adds a little extra length. It's really hard to judge that length. And then you, when you, when you're talking about the, the length of the horn, you know, a lot of antelope have a lot of curl. It's hard to, to measure that curl, but the more curl they have, they can look short from the side, but if they have a lot of curl, it can really add a lot of length to their, to their horn. Um, in measuring the, coming up with the mass measurements, there's references you can use referencing their eye. The antelope's eye is um, about two and a half inches from from tear duct to the back, and you can use that to measure and verify that they have, you know, they have two. In, it looks like their horns two inches wide and or three inches wide. Um, and you start you start looking at that, but then when it gets when you're really trying to get one really close it you really have to look at them at different times of the day they can look different in the morning than they do in the evening because of the light and a lot of times i have to go look somewhere else for a day and then go back and look at a buck if i think he's really big and, and reanalyze it because you can it can look different one day to the next how much of field judging, uh, taking photos and video of bucks at different times of the day, different sunlight angles, uh, how often does a buck look totally different, say, in a, in a different light? I mean, is it all the time or half the time? Um, I think it's a lot of the time. Um, and it really helps, like you said, if you get really good quality photos, you know, where you can really zoom in and see detail, that that's huge. I mean, that a lot of times you can't do that. You can't get close enough to get that kind of uh, picture quality, especially in the summertime when it's hot because of the heat waves. It's really hard to get good quality photos of them. So you really just have to get as close as you can and, and look at them multiple times. And, you know, you're familiar with that with scoring sheep. It's Sheep are really tough to to field judge also i'll tell you from um lee's been doing it longer than i have as far as field judging and so one of the things um you have to look at it just like he said you have to look at a ton of antelope um, but i first but like kind of before that is if you go going with the mindset in your unit that you're going to kill a 90 inch antelope or you're going to kill a 70 inch antelope especially if you have a rifle tag, I think that's the wrong mindset to, to go into it with. I think you need to go in with the mindset of you're going to kill the best available pronghorn antelope. And, and then because there, there's so many different uh, factors that weigh into it, depending upon your unit and, and so on and so forth. But look over as many antelope in that unit as you possibly can because uh, just like we're talking about genetics um you know different areas hold uh different genetics and characteristics um and sometimes uh, their horn configurations aren't that different um but if you don't pick up on the little variances in horn configuration then uh you know, like a buck that hooks forward, like the buck we killed last year um, with Mark, um, he looked huge at times to the normal person. And there was even times that I would send Lee a photo and be like, man, he looks giant. And you have to really get a barometer, um, and it's hard to do unless you lay your 
hands on them. I would carry my horns around that I have from my bucks and have physical measurements. I had, you know, 30 or 40 photos in my phone. And then I would take a ton of video and a ton of pictures of bucks. And then I'd come back and I'd be like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in my office, or I'd be like Dr. Jekyll and I'd be freaking out and I'd be sending pictures to Lee. And I know this sounds crazy coming from a guy, but you really stress you want to do the best possible job you can do with field judging. So, you know, you're sending pictures and video. Video to me tells more of a story, but it also depends on if you're filming through a scope, if you're filming without a scope, and time of day, like Lee said. And then if you go look at a buck, we've followed a buck for three years, and I had Lee come and look at him. And that buck was killed this last year, and he was 89 and 6 eighths. We didn't kill him. Um, a DIY hunter killed him. Um, but, but I had Lee come out and look at that buck just to verify what I was seeing. Because antelope are a lot like sheep, but I'm going to say they're even a little bit trickier because you have another measurement with the prongs, and you're, you're, you're almost half the inch measurement um, than a sheep. So it's and their horns are black. So that black um, can, can really kind of deceive you depending upon the shadows and the time of day. Um, and, and for me personally, again, that distance. If I'm looking at them through my 10 powers at 100 yards, a buck can look really big, but I'm not getting a definition. Versus if I look at them through my 30s at 100 yards, a buck, I can make him look, if you're not used to that kind of crop size, you could, that buck will look a lot smaller. So you have to compare like pictures, like distances, like times, and then you have to have like a gallery to be the most accurate, in my opinion. You have to have a gallery, and then you have to bounce it off people that, that know what big pronghorn are, and you have to, you have to just keep pounding at it. And then, unfortunately, because we live in Arizona, if you don't touch a lot of pronghorn, it's really hard to be accurate. I mean, I know there's guys that say they can get them down to within an inch. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I'll give you, you know, like that buck we killed last year or one of the bucks we killed last year. I mean, it was uh, 85 to 87, 84 to 86. And then you get comfortable and you say, I think he's 85 to 86. But, I mean, just just a quarter inch off on each of those mass measurements, that's an inch on each side, that's two inches. That's just on the mass, just a quarter inch. So sure. it's, it's, it's yeah. tough. Every little measurement counts, and as soon as you miss one uh, and you start uh, moving that down, saying, well, if this is two and a half or if this is a six-inch uh, uh, circumference or what have you, and you start getting off a little bit, it can go into the whole horn. And if you miss it on the low side, it can also grow on you. But more times than not, with, with most horned animals, people miss a measurement and they start using that throughout their, their field judging, and they end up always missing on the low side. They end up always, in my mind, over judging stuff. Um, uh, guys, let's talk about shift gears a little bit and talk about some bucks that you did kill. Craig, you mentioned a buck last year. I think you guys 
shot a buck on a muzzleloader hunt that that went 85 or 80, whatever he went. Can you tell me a little bit about that buck and uh, maybe some of the other um, uh, big bucks that you guys have been a part of? Yeah, last year I had, uh, or we had a muzzleloader hunter, um, and uh, it was one of those, put a lot of time scouting for that hunt. Um, it, uh, it was in Unit 18A, and uh, it's pretty close to where I live, and um, so that's why I took that hunt, and 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 I was the one guiding that hunt. But it was one of those deals again. You just went out there with the mindset of you know of trying to find the biggest available buck to kill, um, and then you know trying to play out any lead that you hear about. Um, and, and chasing down rumors, um, and then I I found that buck. I think it was, man, I don't know if it was a week before the season or, or what. But I'd been in that area two or three times. Um, but he was in a really tight spot, um, um, and he uh, was in a spot that there was quite a few antelope. But I just I just didn't pick him up. And then one day I just happened to happened to glass him up I was actually looking for mule deer <laughs> and I glassed him up and and then I I went back and I found them um like I think it was maybe it was a week before the hunt because then I found him three or four days later again and he was right in the same area and I seen him from the road um, and he was out in this big meadow and when I seen him he just looked giant um and uh I had to calm myself down because initially, you know, I get excited and, you know, just like anybody else. And, you know, he's, he's a giant biggest buck you've ever seen. And then you have to really back yourself down, reel the line in and say, wait a minute, what is he? Um, so I went and crept up on him and, and took video and pictures of him and then sent him to Lee and looked him over. And, you know, I, I knew he was definitely the biggest buck that, there was one other buck that was kind of in that same range, maybe a little bit smaller, um, different, a little bit different horn conformation. Anyway, um, I knew it was the best buck I'd seen in a lot of days of scouting. Um, and so that was the buck with only less than a week left to hunt that, you know, I, I talked to the client and said, hey, you know, we can continue looking for a better buck, but, you know, this is the amount of days I put in and this buck right here is a heck of a buck and I sent him the pictures and he's like let's shoot him so we went and we found him it took us I took I think it took us till about 10 o'clock um for him to pop out um and glass him from the same knob and finally you know four or five hours after glassing we found him and went over there and got him killed and and took him back and I think he was 85 and 6 eighths um SEI official um is what he went and then he grossed and uh, he grossed like 84 or something uh, Boone and crockett um that's the one thing that uh maybe the the listener out there doesn't understand about pronghorn is is they shrink a lot um their their horns probably what do you mean they shrink a lot in the drying period they will shrink a okay. lot um i got bucks at my house here that have 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 you know now they're 10 years old but They've, they've shrunk, you know, three or four inches. So that's, you know, where 
you can't account for that shrinkage and what the hunter or what you do with the animal afterwards. And you have to abide by the, the Boone and Crockett and Safari Club rules as far as how you store those, those horns. But, um, there, there's some animals that will shrink a lot on you. And so you, you, you know, it's just what the hunters don't know that about antelope. Um, sure. Uh, and that that's probably with the water content in the horn and and if, with most of the score being mass, they're obviously going to shrink up a little bit because they're a, they have a hollow core, correct? Yes. Lee, why don't you tell me about uh, one of the better bucks you've been involved with um, lately? Well, last year I had a guy that had close to 20 bonus points that drew as a non-resident. He drew a Unit 10 rifle um, antelope tag and. His main concern was was not necessarily killing the biggest buck that we could find, but he just wanted to have a really good hunt experience, and he'd heard some, you know, some stories about how it can be competitive for antelopes. So the challenge I had was finding a good buck that we could go and and hunt without having a lot of hunt pressure. And I knew of some some really good bucks that were out in some open, more your typical antelope country. Um, but I kept looking in in some of the areas that we talked about earlier in the conversation where where we might be able to find a really good buck that we could kind of have to ourselves and uh wasn't really coming up with anything until just a couple days before the season and and uh just happened to look in the right spot at the right time and found a buck that you know made my eyes bug out because he had really really good mass that was the first thing that hit me was his mass and so I knew that he was definitely something we needed to look at, and so I found him in the evening and and got a little bit of video of him, and then I went back the next morning and looked at him again and and uh, compared the video and you know fought my head over it for the next day, and then we we went and uh, hunted him the first morning and and I'd made the decision that you know he was a really good buck we needed to try and try and hunt him and. He ended up being a, a buck that was a little bit over 84 inches gross, which is uh, a really good buck last year for Unit 10 because it was a little bit of a rough year uh, horn growth-wise. It was a real dry winter, and uh, it really affected the antelope. They didn't didn't finish out real well. So the guy was really happy with his hunt, and uh, it was a real good good feeling that we didn't have to go out there and bump elbows with all the other hunters and to find a buck like that on a year like last year sure sounds like a great buck uh guys in closing um give me your 2015 uh antelope forecast for the units that you like uh, and, and not not talking specifically you know per unit but uh how's it looking out there and do you expect this year to be a good year for for good horn growth and 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 good trophy potential yeah i think so i i think it's going to be better than than the the past two or three years or maybe maybe longer than that just because of the winter precipitation we've had and it's been warm so the there's green feed been growing and there's there's green feed been on you know which is kind of uncharacteristic in this part of the state for there to be green feed early like this so i think uh, that'll really have a big impact on the antelope's health and they you know we should see some some antelope be able to reach their potential this year horn growth wise that's great. And uh, are there some units that you guys are hoping to get some clients in that you've uh, 
know about some bucks that have made it through and and are you excited about a couple of particular bucks yeah we are we're we're excited we hope hopefully we'll get a couple guys in some of our units that we've got experience in in units 10 and the 18 units maybe even a 19b or 19a just i think they're all going to have some really good bucks that we know about available great great uh I didn't draw an antelope tag this year. Um, you guys personally didn't draw, so I know you're looking forward to getting a few clients. Um, how can you guys be reached? Uh, how, how can people follow you? Give me your uh, breakdown on your websites and Instagrams and all of that, please. And go to exclusivepursuits.com or and go to our Facebook. Just type in the search bar, Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters. I'm sorry, it was Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters. Did I say Exclusive Pursuits? Uh, so it's exclusivepursuitoutfitters.com yes. and then Facebook exclusive pursuit outfitters. Yep. And on Instagram, on Instagram, it's exclusive, uh, underscore pursuits, underscore outfitters, or you get okay. hashtag exclusive pursuits and find us the back doorway. Okay. That's and then bad. personally, personally, <laughs> Personally, uh, Craig Steele, AZ, I believe, um, and then Lee, what's your Instagram? Are you on Instagram? Yeah, it's uh, Lee Murphy EPO. Okay, Lee Murphy EPO. Well, guys, I know we just scratched the surface here talking about antelope. I can tell from talking to both of you and knowing both of you how passionate you are about guiding antelope hunters and, and how passionate you are about uh, trying to be credible and... and, and I know from years past seeing, you know, videos and and photos that you guys send, uh, I'm fortunate to, to, to be on that list of a few guys that you, you send stuff to, and, and I know how much detail you guys put into it, and I know how much time and thought you have, so it's nice to talk to you guys about an animal that you really love. I uh, wish you guys the best this season. I uh, look forward to seeing uh, how you do with your clients and uh, just want to thank you for uh, being on with me today and, and discussing antelope. Well, it sounds Jake. Good. Thank you. All right, buddy. You, you guys uh, both take care and uh, we'll be chatting at you on a future uh, episode about uh, more, more things with hunting antelope. Take care, guys. Right, bye. Thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Use the promo code JSCOTT and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card when signing up for the GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more, go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.